0: This is the sixth week now we've been in the uh, sermon series on uh, finding confidence in uncertain times. Um, and today we're going to talk about we should never give up, never give up our faith even in uncertain times. And Scripture is going to be uh, from 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 5. And you take a, a moment to find that. If, if not, it will be on the screen for just a few moments. But what I want us to notice when we, when we look at that passage of Scripture is how... Paul writes to this church that he had uh, had helped found uh, by preaching the gospel, and he emphasizes to them the power of persistence, and he encourages them to persevere in spite of the uncertain times in which they lived and the persecution with which they dealt. Here's a quick little video to help um, inspire you, hopefully today, to never give up. There's a challenge to you about uh, never give up. Now. Let's look at the Scripture today, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and verses 1 through 5. Uh, and this is Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, and he's still writing to encourage them. He's thankful for who they were and what they'd done. And so this is what he re- writes. You know, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, uh, To the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you, "...from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring." All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Now, that's Paul's writing, second letter to them, and, and and he talks about some very positive things about them. And I think the reason he did so is because I think they were maybe, possibly, could have been, maybe close to the brink of kind of maybe falling to one of Satan's chief methods uh, of destroying his people, of, of destroying God's people. Last week we spent a lot of time talking about Satan uh, and, and the message of what Satan wants to do. It's always to deceive and to discourage and to destroy us. Uh, but I think that there are some things that uh, maybe uh, we think about are powerful weapons that Satan uses, uh, such as and tempting us to sins of immorality and lying and cheating and discouraging that would seek to destroy us and our faith and keep us from standing strong. But I think maybe one of his strongest arguments, the strongest temptations he has is to try to get you to give up on God. And you know in uncertain times that would be a time when you could very easily succumb to that and that is that you would give up on God. You see, you look about the first temptation when he encountered Eve in the Garden of Eden, that was really uh, his temptation method was to get her to give up on God and get her to to not believe what God had said and to twist the words that God had said. It's like Satan is saying, oh, come on, he didn't really say that. If you eat from this fruit that you'll have this knowledge and that knowledge and all this. You know, he really didn't say that, did he? And so Eve fell to that because uh, she uh, fell to to his trickery for that. And God her to give up on God. So I want to say to you today, if you're in these uncertain times and you ever feel like you're at the place where you're going to give up on God, your dreams, your hopes, your commitment, uh, your service for the name of Christ, uh, let these words from the Apostle Paul to the church at Thessalonica encourage you to never give up. And I think there are four areas that he talks to us about that are so very important that we need to listen to very carefully. First of all, he says to them, I think as a reminder, gather with your church family regularly. And you say, well, where do we see that? Uh, where do we find that here in this letter? Well, um, I don't know about you if you've gone through school with, with, sometimes you'd have a teacher in college. Sometimes this is where they'd get me uh, in a time for a test. You'd come in to take the test and you studied for everything, is that they would ask this ridiculous question, at least I thought. Who is the author of your textbook?" Any of you had that question asked of you in exam time? Who's the author of your textbook? Well, I never paid any attention to who wrote the textbook. I never read the introduction part to it. I just started chapter 1 and assigned readings in there. Well, this is kind of where we get this. I want you to look at the introduction to the letter, the greetings that Paul gives. He says, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, don't overlook that. There is a very important word right there and that's the word church it's one of the most common words used in the new testament in fact it appears over a hundred times the first time we find it is in matthew 16 where jesus promises the coming of the church and he says upon this rock i will build my church the last time it's mentioned is in the last book of the bible revelation 22 16 right before you get into your concordance and your maps and all of that at the end of your Bible. And Jesus says, send this message to the churches. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright and morning star. The Greek word for church is ekklesia. And it literally means the called out ones. And this church in Thessalonica is a great example of that because we've talked about it. And if you go back and read 1 Thessalonians, you will find that Paul talks to them about the fact that when he came, he proclaimed the gospel. They heard about Jesus Christ. They were converted. They left the, the religion that they had, which was worshiping idols. They gave it up, and they became a part of the kingdom of God. They were called out of that paganism. And then he went on to say that their faith was literally ringing out everywhere, and he was using them as an example. Now notice how, how Paul talks about the location of this church. It's the church of the Thessalonians, but notice where it is. It's located in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in them. Now, we know God is everywhere, but I think there is a special sense, at least for me, and it should be for every one of as we worship, a special sense of the presence of God when we gather together at the appointed time as the body of believers at Spring Valley Baptist Church and that God... Inhabits the praise of his people, and it's a very special time when he's here with us as we meet together that's one of the powerful things about corporate worship uh, and, and we know that God is present, but in the Old Testament, uh, when the priest offered the sacrifice in the temple, the scripture tells us that the glory of God filled the temple. Today, God no longer has a, has a a temple for his people, but he has people for his temple in and, first and corinthians six nineteen The Bible says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? I say that's true of every one of us individually. When we come to know Christ and we accept him as Savior, then the third part of that Trinity, the Holy Spirit, lives within us to fulfill the promise that Jesus gave about the Holy Spirit to come and walk beside us in everything we experience in life, to teach us everything that we need to know, to enlighten our minds, to encourage our hearts, and to walk with us and be with us. That's why we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And when all of us come together, wow, the Spirit of God is present in so many powerful ways. And Jesus dwells here in the body of his church. I think when we meet together in his name, he also promises to reveal himself and manifest himself in special ways. In Matthew 18, 20, Jesus said, For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Let me ask you a question. Why did you come to church today? It was probably one of the coldest mornings we've had. It had been nice just rolled over and covered back up and covered your head or whatever and going back to sleep. But, what, but why did you come? Did you come out of habit? it? Some of you didn't have a choice. Somebody got you up and made you come, right? I would hope that when we gather on Sunday mornings that we come out of a sense of urgency, that we want to worship together with our fellow believers, our church family here at Spring Valley. We want to hear the music and be blessed by that. We want to hear the Word of God. And I would hope that that's why you're here because you really want to worship God and have, again, a personal encounter with the living Lord Jesus Christ. But what I'm concerned about is that a lot of us in the life of this church, a lot of people have have kind of forsaken that. Now you look around you and you'll see that we don't meet together but about one-third of our total membership. And that's not true just with us, but that's pretty much a national thing. And also uh, counting regular attendance now. We used to count it whether you were there three times a week, but now... It's, uh, if you're there like once a month, that's regular attendance. We've just succumbed to a lot of things. That's why I think when we understand the significance of church, that we're the called out ones, we're filled with the Spirit of God. And when we gather together, God is here and inhabiting the praise of his people and he, and, and he proclaims that he is going to uh, manifest himself in special ways. Then there ought to be an urgency in our life to meet together as the church, with our church family and worship together. I think oftentimes when we read through the Bible, especially the New Testament, we think that once the, the, the power of Pentecost came, and especially when we focus in Acts 2 on the church there at that was, was given birth because of Pentecost, and it talks about the fact that they met daily to study and worship and pray, and then daily God was bringing into their midst people who were believing that maybe that was a perfect time and a perfect church. Well, that's not always the case. Because the writer of Hebrews dealt with an issue that we have to deal with today. And this was very early in into the life of Christianity. In Hebrews chapter uh, 10 verse 25 he says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. You see evidently even back then, probably 70, 80 A.D., something like that, there were those who were already beginning to slack off in their attendance. And it certainly happens here all the time. But we are reminded to persevere and to be present and to let our our faith show and make a statement about our faith as we gather together regularly with our church family. If you go back to that 10th chapter, Of Hebrews and read verse 19 to 25 you'll find that the writer of Hebrews makes a strong argument that the reason that we should be here and the reason that we should care to come and come boldly is because Jesus gave his life for the birth of the church and it's through his blood that the church was birthed and it's through his sacrifice that we have the right to gather and worship and we ought not to let that be something that we take with a lackadaisical approach. See, people give up on church attendance for a variety of reasons. All kinds of things can come in into play and stop you from coming to church, and that's one of Satan's schemes. Now, here's what I think is very significant that we need to hear. Eighty percent of church attendance in America is found in congregations that are more than 40 years old. And when a church reaches the age of 40, we're in our, 37th year, in our 36th year, right? We celebrate 35 years in November. Now, when a church reaches 40, it begins to decline at a rate of 2%. I think we've had some decline over the last five or six years that have been greater than 2% in terms of attendance. And we want to work on that. But you've got to help us with that. And we can do all we can as staff, and I say we, and planning and programming and and doing the best we can uh, to give this to you as a wonderful worship experience. But you've got to make the effort to be here. Now, let me share with you another aspect about that, about church declining. Uh, I think that it was the year 1993, uh, but it was uh, the year following the year that our our students went on a mission trip to the Boston area. And we went back as a a group of adults and spent a week working with Cambridge Port Baptist Church uh, there in the Boston area. And it was situated halfway between MIT and Harvard University. And I can stand before you today and proudly say that I have attended both, MIT and Harvard. I had to see both of them, and I went there. But while we were there, we discovered a strange phenomenon that was taking place. There were many, many evangelical American churches that were closing the doors and going out of business. And they were either giving the churches or selling the church property the groups of people who were coming here from other countries because they wanted to establish a church and they wanted to worship God. And they would close the churches. The Americans would close their churches with a celebration service reflecting upon the history and the good days of the church. And I imagine they probably had a good crowd show up for that. And my thought all along was, that's just so sad. That here in America, back there in 93 even, that was a phenomenon that was going on. And it all happened about closing churches because people just had a sense of apathy and they didn't care. They didn't show up. And if the church doesn't show up, you can't have church, right? And so we need to look at the life of our church. We as a staff are looking at this. I think you'll hear some of it Sunday school leadership next Sunday afternoon uh, when we have some leadership time together and talk about that. We've got to reverse that trend. We've got to do everything we can to make sure that we do not forsake the gathering together because there's something special about being together with God's people and we bring His Spirit in more and more as we come filled with the Spirit. Now, why, why should we gather regularly to worship? Well, I think some good reasons are that we want to be obedient to our faith in God. We want to worship and adore Jesus Christ. We want to be encouraged in our spiritual life and we want to spur one another on toward good deeds. And... We want to honor the day of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, what's the significance of being here and being a part of the church? You see, God created the church to be a change agent and to change the world for His glory and to bring in the kingdom of God. And so, we might ask today and say, well, well, what are we doing that's that exciting? What are we doing that's making a difference? Well... You can look and see that there is a pattern, that where the church is not profoundly making a difference in the culture, it usually has to do with the fact that about two-thirds of the members of that church aren't actively involved. And the leadership of the church has to spend so much of its time trying to urge and encourage and contact those who just simply have an apathetic attitude towards the church to come and be a part and involved in the life of the church. If we didn't have to spend that kind of time following up on people who weren't here and finding out why they got a pattern of absences, look at what we could be doing of greater significance. Look at that if all 1,600 of our people who are members would be here on a regular basis. Man, think about the potential that we would have to leave here rejuvenated and inspired to be a very positive witness for God in our culture. But instead there is a pattern of decline in attendance. Not just here at Spring Valley, but in, and, and around America, that's happening. One of the things I read about this week was um, this happened to be a, a headline in, in uh, Dallas for a real estate ad talking about a converted church for sale. And I, at first, it struck me funny. I thought, well, you know, I thought everybody in a church would be converted by the power of God. You know, we'd be converted. That's what it's called when you come to faith in Christ, you're converted. But what they were talking about was converting a church that was empty into a residence. And this was a particular 15,000 square foot church that had become a home. And this is some of the things they did. The altar, it was advertised, had been adapted for use as a granite and stainless steel kitchen to honor the gods of cooking. I didn't know the word gods of cooking, but that's it. The choir loft. The choir loft had been turned into a, a great big home movie theater. Comfy seats and a big screen. You could go for that, right? Yeah, you could go for that. Might even keep some of you awake. (laughs) There was no baptistry, but they had a hot tub. Among other things, they had a game room, a music room, and an exercise studio. And it was yours for $2 million. 15,000 square feet. Oh, and by the way, they had 11 bedrooms. Now, I'm sure people had slept in that church before, but now you could sleep in it in great comfort. The realtor show in the house said desanctified churches are the number one type of building converted to residential use. That's a sad term for me, and it should be for you. A desanctified church. Now, I know that's talking about the building. But why was that building empty? Probably because the congregation had just become so apathetic, they drifted away. They were desanctified. Let me emphasize some importance again about why we need to take seriously our attendance here. See, we've been saved from our sins because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We have been united with the risen, living Savior Jesus Christ through faith and what he did for us on the cross. And because of that, we gather weekly to express our faith and belief with our corporate church body and give thanks to God. So I want to say to you, you know, keep the faith. Stand strong, stand firm, finish strong, and keep on gathering regularly with your church family. Now, here's the second thing that Paul says. Now this is these next three are right out of the text. He says, keep on growing in your faith. You want to find confidence in uncertain times? Like the church in Thessalonica were doing, like we're doing, going through uncertain times? Then keep growing in your faith. In verse 3, he pointed out to them, and, and he gave them great encouragement by saying, your faith is growing more and more. Could you say that about your faith? To answer this question, am I growing as a Christian? Am I more spiritually mature today than I was a year ago? How would that look if we charted it in your, in your spiritual growth life? Where would you be? There are going to be some ups and downs, but you ought to always be moving up all the way. Am I growing in my faith? Am I growing more like Christ? Is my spiritual life reaching a better point of maturity? So a lot of people aren't. The church in Thessalonica was, and Paul commended them for that because their faith was growing. We need to continue to grow in our faith. You know, when parents bring a newborn baby home, everybody who's and ah's over it. But after a period of time, if the parents notice that child's not growing, then they know something's wrong. And they got to they have it treated and taken care of same thing is true with us. When we come to know Christ, we're called infants. We're babes in Christ. We're born again. And we have to take the nourishment spiritually that allows our faith to grow and to mature. And there's a paradox, I think, in the Bible about being childlike in our faith or being childish. You see, Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, you will not see the kingdom of God. That's being childlike. Having that faith to believe and trust. But childishness is the other side of it. It's where you refuse to grow up. It's where you, you don't maintain your faith. You don't move on forward, pressing on in that faith. Like the writer of Hebrews says in 6.1, Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. We're supposed to grow to maturity. And in Ephesians 4, a great chapter about the church growing, Paul writes to them and says grow to unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then he goes on in the verses that follow it tell us why we need to grow to spiritual maturity. He says it's so we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up in him who is the head, that is, Christ. That we grow into Christ. We stand strong in uncertain times. We don't waver in our faith. We don't fall victim to false teaching or to cults. We won't be easily deceived as we grow to mature faith. So keep on growing in your spiritual faith. Third thing Paul says to us by way of saying it to this church is continue to increase in your love for others. He says to them "The, the love all of you have for one another is increasing. I mean I'm sure Paul was blessed by that. They were increasing in their love for one another. And he was thankful for that. But he wanted to encourage them to continue to grow in that love for one another. Now. I asked you earlier to think about what's the love chapter that we normally think about in the Bible. What is that? 1 Corinthians 13. And rightfully so. The word love appears 11 times. But I want to make a strong argument for 1 John 4. Because the word love there appears 24 times in 1 John 4. And you read 1 John and a lot of the writing that John has is about love, love for one another. God is love, he says, and we love him because God first loved us. And then if we love God, then we have to love our brother. If we love God whom we have not seen, we love our brother who we can see. And so we always need to grow in that love. We always need to be working on growing and demonstrating the love of Christ as we grow. Now, why should we do that? Why should love abound so much? Well, Peter writes in 1 Peter 4, 8 and says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, here's here's how we apply that. We still live in an imperfect world, and none of us are perfect. We live in a fallen world, and we're going to sin. And sometimes we're going to sin against a brother or a sister. Sometimes it's unintentionally. We might say something, we might do something that, that offends them, that hurts them. And when we apologize and we come back and ask for forgiveness, you see, when there is an abundance of love, that over that covers over a multitude of sins. That's why we need to always make sure that as a church body we are growing together in love, developing that love and showing that love and extending that love. And it's a wonderful example this church had that Paul said, you're growing in your faith, you're growing in your love. And then here's the fourth thing that he says, and and we need to take this to heart if we're going to find confidence in these uncertain times. Paul says, endure your trials with joy. So this church was going through times of great persecution, and yet they were standing strong. Paul said, among God's churches, we boast. ...about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you're enduring. We don't know what all of them might have been. But they were certainly being persecuted for their faith. And they were standing strong. They were standing firm. And Paul wanted to encourage them to never give up. Remain strong in spite spite of the persecutions and trials... James, the half-brother of our Lord, wrote that great practical little letter of James. And he talked a lot about the fact that faith and works go together. But he also said something very significant about going through the times of trials and difficulties in chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. He says, "...Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance." King James Version says, "...Count it all joy." And um, that is an accounting term. And the way I understand that is if you understand the profit and loss system there of accounting, that you could list all of your assets on one side of a ledger and all your liabilities on the other side. And all the liabilities would be things like death and sickness and sadness and disappointment and rejection and pain and adversity. But Paul says you, you need to accept all these things and do it with joy. And that's what what James would say. You can write across that ledger joy because you find that in, in, in the strength that God gives you to undergo all of these times of temptations and testing and perseverance through the times of being persecuted. Keep on. Keep on persevering. Be persistent in your faith. Never give up. Yeah, we live in uncertain times. You can either decide to drop out and give up, or you can press on and never give up. I want to encourage you to press on, persevere, never give up. Never give up meeting together. Never give up growing in your faith. Never give up growing in your love. And endure your times of trials with joy. Because those things are brought into our life by God to build our faith, and to encourage us as we mature through those difficulties. So never give up. Never give up. Never give up. Father, we thank you for the encouragement that you give to us for these uncertain times. As we turn to your word and we consider what you have to say, we thank you so much for this church that Paul loved dearly, the Thessalonians, and how They gave a great example of enduring and never giving up, growing in their faith and love and and in their perseverance, even through times of trials and persecution. Father, help us to claim uh, that faith that will allow us to stand strong and to stand firm and to never give up. Father, help us to be challenged, to accept that challenge, to grow in our faith. To worship regularly and to take this seriously being a part of the body of Christ at Spring Valley. To show love for one another because we know it covers a multitude of sins. And then somehow through your presence and your grace to be able to accept and to handle and work through the difficulties of life with a spirit of joy. And Father we know we can only do that as your power works through us and we allow you to do that. And I pray that we will commit ourselves to you in such a way uh, that we will find the ability and the strength to persevere for your name and for your glory. And I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.